right, good morning, Mosaic. Um, please turn your Bibles with me to the book of John, uh, John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Um, if you do not have the passage, the slide should be up in the PowerPoint. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. If you have your pew Bibles with you, then um, it will be found in, let's see. If somebody finds it, they can just call it out. 958, page 958 in the Pew Bibles, although we don't have any pews here. Um, John 15, verses 1 through 11. So turn your Bibles there um, as we will be uh, studying the seventh and the final I am statement that Jesus makes in the book of John. This is the seventh and the final I am statement. So John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit, so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as this passage says, Lord, Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. Lord, I pray for dependency upon this sermon, Lord. I ask that I would rely on Jesus, I would rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, and Lord, that you will do what you do, and that is, Lord, to convict, to instruct, to heal, to bless, Lord. God, I just ask that I would be faithful to your word, and as I am faithful to your word, God, that you will do the transformation. We ask this in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. If there is if 
There is one thing that I want to stress to you today. If there is just one thing that I want to bring home to you, it is this. In himself, Jesus Christ is the true sustenance. I'm sorry. In himself, Jesus Christ is the true source and sustenance of our Christian life. I'll say it this way. Jesus Christ in himself is the true source and sustenance of our Christian life. And to get there, I want, to see, I want us to see three different roles highlighted in this passage. Three different roles. The first role is Jesus Christ as the vine. The second is we as the branches. And the third is the Father as the vine dresser. So first of all, Jesus Christ is the vine. Jesus Christ is the vine. Verse 1. What does it say? I am the true vine. That's right there in the, at the offset of the passage. Right there in the beginning of the passage. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And then he goes on a few verses to discuss the implications of being um, a true vine and what it means for us to be related to this vine. And then verse 5, it says again, I am the vine. So verse 1, it says, I am the true vine. And in verse 5, he reiterates what he already said. And he says, I am the vine. And he says, and you are the branches. As I mentioned already before, this is the seventh and final I am statement that Jesus Christ makes. So then what, it, what does it mean? What does it mean when Jesus says, I am the true vine? What does it mean? Now I want you to entertain this imagery with me. As imagine that you are in your homes and you look outside your windows and you notice a vine. You notice a beautiful vine. You might not notice that here in Brooklyn, but let's just imagine this with me. You see this beautiful vine. And that's probably what the people, the hearers of Jesus Christ were seeing at the moment that Jesus Christ was actually saying these words. They would probably look right, they probably looked left, and they probably did see vine, they probably did see fruitful vine. And so you looked outside this window and you see this fruitful vine. What you need to know is that vine was a very familiar um, plant during these times. And the people of Israel knew this all too well. And this imagery would be used throughout the Old Testament, too. The imagery of the vine will be used, for example, in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 through 7. Let's just read it real quick. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. 
that will be found in on page 603. 603. I will sing about the one I love, a song about my loved one's vineyard. The one I love had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He broke up the soil, cleared it of stones, and planted it with the finest vines. He built a tower in the middle of it and even dug out a wine press there. He expected it, that's the, wine, that's the vine, he expected the vine to yield good grapes but it, it yielded worthless grapes. So now, residents of Jerusalem and men of Judah, please judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I did? Why then have I expected a yield of good grapes? Did it yield worthless grapes? Now I will tell you what I'm about to do to you, to my vineyard. I will remove its hedges and it will be consumed. I will tear down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland. It will not be pruned or weeded. Thorns and briars will grow up. I will also give orders to the clouds that rain should not fall on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of armies in the, is the house of Israel and the men of Judah the plant he delighted in. He expected justice, but saw injustice. He expected righteousness, but heard cries of despair. I don't know if you see the relation between this passage and what we're reading. The Lord says he expected his vine to produce fruit. He expected it to produce much fruit. He expected good grapes, but instead it produced wild grapes. And so the Lord says he would bring judgment against this vine. This vine is no good. He will tear it into pieces. He would allow thorns to grow in it and around it. And so basically what we understand is that as you read through the Old Testament, and we don't have time to dig into the other passages, but as you read through the Old Testament, you would see over and over and over again, God would use this imagery of the vine to talk to to, to, um, to express who his people were. But when it was used, it wasn't used in a positive light. It was used mostly in a negative light. He would always say, I'm, I'm trying to produce fruit in this vine, but this vine is not producing fruit. This vine is not producing fruit. This vine is fruitless. Israel is fruitless. Israel is fruitless. So that's what you would find throughout the Old Testament passages. And so when Jesus Christ says, I am the true vine, when Jesus Christ says that, Jesus is essentially saying that he is replacing fruitless Israel. Jesus Christ is the truly fruitful one. He is replacing fruitless barren Israel. And so, we need to understand, we need to see Jesus Christ 
as the fruitful one. He is the fruitful vine producing much fruit. So, before you even think about yourself as a branch, I know right now you want to think about yourself, how you're connected to the branch and the implications of that. What does that mean for me? How can I get, how can I get um, connected to that? I don't want you to think about the branches just yet. I just want you to focus on the vine. I want you to see the vine and its capability of producing much fruit. I want you to see and appreciate the vine in and of itself, how rich it is in its ability to produce much. Every branch, as long as it is fully attached to the vine, will produce fruit. I want you to see this vine. I want you to see the ability that it has to produce. See, our Lord is not fruitful, fruitless like Israel. He really does produce fruit. He has the capacity to produce fruit. He has the capacity to produce an infinite amount of fruit. So to be divine is to be the true source and sustenance of our Christian life. By being the source, I mean that he is where your spiritual life finds its breath. And by sustenance, I mean that he is the one that continues to sustain you spiritually. In Jesus Christ rests all the power that you need to live out your Christian life. In Jesus Christ rests all the power that you need to live the Christian life. Negatively put, without Christ you have no life. There is no such thing as spirituality apart from Jesus Christ. I want you to see this Jesus Christ. I want you to see and appreciate Jesus Christ as the life-sustaining vine apart from which there is no life. Now, while there are many books out there in the Christian bookstores that promise three keys to spiritual life, three, four ways to gaining spiritual maturity, and I'm not knocking those books, but Jesus stands here and he says, all you need is found in me. Now there are other aspects in the Bible that you could um, understand in order to help you grow in your Christian life. I'm not denying that. But all of it finds its foundation in Jesus Christ. As the true vine, Jesus Christ had the power to sustain all of his disciples that were before him. In himself, he had the power to sustain Peter. Even though Peter would deny him three times later on, he had the power to sustain him, and Peter became a very fruitful disciple. As the true vine, Jesus Christ had the power to take this man who was threatening the churches, who was persecuting the churches, Paul, and he was able to change him. And Paul became one of the most Christ-centered men that we could read of. He wrote most of those books in the Bible. Or, I, you know what I mean. But 
you see that. You're like, how in the world can this man who looked like this, a wretched man, how can he turn into that? And I would say that it's the vine. Blame it on the vine. That came. Um, <laughs> so that's exactly how Peter, that's exactly how Peter was sustained. This is how the Apostle Paul was sustained. Jesus Christ, the, the vine, had power to sustain all Christians at Antioch and Ephesus and Galatia and Colossae. He had the capacity to produce fruit in Christians throughout all the ages, all the churches, throughout all the centuries, and all the Christians today in Asia and Africa, here in America, Jesus Christ, this, this one vine, has the capacity to produce so much fruit. To produce so much fruit. How much? How much fruit? People have found that as they have, as they have attached themselves to this vine, people have found to bear fruit. Jesus says, I am the true vine. If you're looking for a vine, this is it. If you were trying to find something that would bring you life, this is it. If you were thinking, I am not where I need to be spiritually, this passage may be for you. So the first role that we see in this passage is Jesus as the true vine. Jesus as the true vine. But the second role that we see in this passage is we, us, human beings, as the branches. As you are looking at this vine outside your window and how fruitful it is, you begin to notice that although the vine in itself is healthy and it has the capacity to bear much fruit, that some of the branches are looking different than other branches. You notice that some branches are bearing, is bearing a lot of fruit and others is not. And you're confused. You ask yourself, why? Why? Why is it that although this, this vine is good, this vine is fruitful, why is it that one branch can produce much fruit and the other branch cannot produce fruit at all? Is it the vine's fault? Well, no. We saw from the passage that this vine is the true vine. So in this passage we are before us, we're not only we, not, we don't only see the vine, but we are introduced to the branches. And the identity of the branches are not left to our speculations. He, he lays it out clearly for us to see um, in verse 5. Verse 5, what does it say? I am the vine, and you are the what? Branches. I am the vine. So he doesn't leave up, it up to our speculation, like, who's the branches? He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. We, us, are the branches. We are the branches. But again, Jesus is showing that not all the branches are fruitful. There are some that are, there are, that are and others that aren't. The purpose of the vine is to produce fruit, and so if there isn't fruit, then there is no need for it. The gardener will simply get rid of it, but he will care for the ones 
that produce fruit. But that still begs the question. That still begs the question. What makes one branch fruitful and the other not? We know it's not any deficiency on the vine's part. The vine, as we establish, can produce much fruit. Why can one branch bear fruit and another cannot? I think the answer is found in verses 5 and 6. I think the answer is found in verses 5 and 6. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into a fire, and they are burned. What's the answer according to verses 5 and 6? Which ones are the ones that produce fruit? And which ones are the ones that not, do not produce fruit? The ones that are producing fruit are the ones that are remaining in Jesus Christ or abiding in Christ. The ones that are not abiding in Christ, they are thrown away because they are not producing fruit. So, if you are abiding in Jesus Christ, you're producing fruit. If you're not abiding or remaining in Christ, you're not producing fruit. Simple, right? That's what the passage says, right? That's what the passage teaches. If you are abiding in him, you produce fruit. If you're not, you're not producing fruit. So when you are looking closely at those branches, you notice that the, the, that the ones that are not producing fruit, that, no, I'm sorry, you notice that the ones that are producing fruit, they are the ones that are truly attached and connected to the vine. But the ones that are not producing fruit, somehow they are not connected. They're a little connected, but they're really not. They're not truly abiding and connected. Or, to put it plainly, if you are abiding in Jesus Christ, you will produce fruit. If you are not abiding in Jesus Christ, you will not produce fruit. Just to make it even clearer, all true Christians will produce fruit. And all false Christians will not produce fruit. If you are not producing fruit, you have no biblical justification to call yourself a Christian. If you are not producing fruit, you have no biblical justification to call yourself a Christian according to this passage. I'm reminded of the passage in Matthew Seven, where Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus said, and before that, he said, um, be careful of false prophets, um, for they come to you as with sheep folding, folding, but they inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. You will know them by their fruit. You will know them by their fruit. You cannot, as a Christian, you will bear much fruit. As a Christian, you will bear fruit. And that's what this passage is all about. This passage is saying that those who are truly Christian will bear fruit, and those who are not will not bear fruit. It means that they were not truly abiding in Jesus Christ. 
How are we going to define fruit? What does that mean? I'm going to speak of fruit in a very, very general way, just so that we could, um, because I think that's the best way in which I could, um, that we could um, rightly interpret this passage. I'm going to say that fruit is simply the evidence of a changed life. You become a different person upon your conversion. You become new. You become, you have new desires You don't have that you didn't have before. Fruit is evidence. Without exception, true Christians always bear fruit. It might be little fruit. Maybe it's not shown, maybe it's small, but it will, there will be fruit. So you can go to church as much as you want. But you will never produce fruit if you are not truly abiding, if you're not remaining in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to take a, we're going to take a break real quick. From this passage, I want to introduce to you something that I believe is a very important um, topic to talk about. And let me just actually, I don't think I... Now, this is one of the most important or central doctrines in all of Scripture. One of the most essential doctrines in all of Scripture. I just lost my... um, Give me one second. Okay, here we go. Um... So I want to highlight uh, one of them, one uh, a very very major theme in the Bible or a major doctrine that is taught in the Bible, um, and I want you to take a guess what, what it might be. Um, I don't want you to, to guess out loud. You can just guess mentally. Um, a, a very very crucial important doctrine that is highlighted here in this passage. Um, what do you think it might be? And, and again, like you don't have to call it out. But it is, um, you, you, could, you could just think about it. Something that relates to this passage that is one of the most, the, a core doctrine, a core doctrine in scripture. Did you say something, Emily? What did you say? You look like you were saying something. Okay, okay. Something that is even more, more central to that. Sean, do not answer. You, you, you're like, I don't even know. <laughs> Oh, okay. No. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to tell you about this doctrine. I'll tell you what some theologians said about this doctrine that I'm going to speak of. Okay. Um, there's a theologian by the name of John, James Stewart. He wrote that blank this doctrine, rather than justification or election or eschatology or indeed any other great um, apostolic, apostolic themes, is the real clue to an understanding of Paul's thought and experience. John Calvin, who Um, was another theologian. He said that this doctrine has the highest degree of importance if we are to understand justification correctly. John Murray wrote that this doctrine is the central truth to the whole doctrine of salvation. Lewis Smead says that this particular doctrine that we're going to talk about is is at once the center and circumference of authentic human existence. 
I can go on with um, different people that said so many great things and how core this doctrine is to our Christian understanding and to us living our Christian life. It's very crucial. What is this doctrine that all of these theologians, all these people are speaking or are raving about? It's a doctrine that I'm, I may have already spoken about already in the context of Mosaic. I may have already talked about it. It's called Union with Christ. Did anybody get that? No? Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, it's a doctrine called Union with Christ or Unity with Christ. Um, although, like, sometimes, you know, we, we can emphasize so many other good doctrines like justification by faith, I would suggest that let that union with Christ is a very important theme in the Bible, and it's a very important aspect in understanding our Christian life. Now, what does it mean? What does union with Christ mean? Um, so union with Christ is actually as it sounds, right? Um, union with Christ simply means that you and I are united with Jesus Christ. You follow? You and I are united with Jesus Christ. In a mysterious way that goes beyond our understanding, the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is in you. You follow? And yet, the Bible also teaches that we are in Jesus Christ. Some passages say that we are in Christ, and other passages say that, what did I say? We are in Christ, and other passages say that Christ is in us. It's a very crucial way in understanding our Bible. I remember the first time when I purchased my Honda. I purchased this Honda, I'm like, yes, I got this nice brand new car, and all of a sudden when I start driving it in the streets, I start to notice that all other cars look like they're Hondas. I never knew, I never noticed a Honda before until I purchased it, right? Until I saw my Honda, that's when I started to recognize it everywhere. And until you begin to notice this doctrine, union with Christ, I guarantee you, when you start reading, especially throughout the New Testament, you're going to start seeing this everywhere. Okay? I'm just going to just scratch the surface, because we can't dig into this um, doctrine. I'm just going to scratch the surface of this doctrine. If you look, um, even if you, in this same passage, in the same um, book, you just go one chapter before this, right? In John chapter 14, verse 20. <clears throat> in John chapter 14, verse 20, Jesus says, I am in the Father, in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. That was just a chapter ago, right? Same discourse. Jesus is saying this. Uh, let's, we can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. First John 4.13, by this we know that we abide in him and that he in us, that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. If, I, I don't want to talk about Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. Well, I'm going to talk about it. 
Um, sorry. Ephesians 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. In love, he is, um, well, I'm messing up. But so many times, just in Ephesians 1, it says, in him, in him, in him, in him we have received redemption. You're like, whoa. What the author is trying to communicate is that all of our blessings are found in Jesus Christ. So we are in Christ. Christ is in us. All those truths, we are one with Christ. It has so many more implications as we're going to dig in. Why am I saying this? Why am I uh, preaching this? You'll find other passages in the Bible now where it seems as though it seems kind of strange where the Paul, Paul the Apostle will say in Galatians 2.20 he'll say, I have been crucified with Christ. What do you mean, Paul? What do you mean you've been crucified with Christ? You were even saved back then. What do you mean you've been crucified with Christ? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up. Like, whoa, Paul, what do you mean that you have been crucified with Christ? And in Romans, I believe Romans 5, verse 1, it says, therefore, let me make sure I got this right, so I won't just try, try to. I know, right? <laughs> no, I'm sorry, Romans 6. Let's go to Romans 6, actually. Romans 5, it does start with therefore, actually. Um, Romans 6 says, What should we say then? Should we continue to sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you not aware that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with Christ. We were buried with Christ. And we were raised with Christ from the dead by the glory of the Father. For if, verse 5, for if we have been united with Christ in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Okay. What's going on? Did I convince you that this doctrine is all over the place? Or should I keep going? You're convinced, right? It's everywhere. Live like you, you just it's just spotted everywhere. And essentially what we understand is this that you cannot understand some of the core doctrines without understanding unity of Christ, with Christ. Okay? Basically, this is what happened. Jesus Christ, he died on the cross, he was he was buried, he rose again, right? But Jesus Christ only did that in and of himself. This work that he did when he died, he rose back up to life again, it has been applied to us when he went in us. In the sense that it will never apply to us unless he is united to us. Does that make sense? It's almost as though In order for this work to happen, in order for it to be effective in our lives, in order for it to work, we have to be connected to him. 
so that we too would be dead to our sins and raised back to life. You follow? I hope, I hope I'm making sense. In order for this thing to actually apply and make sense to you, you have to be connected somehow. And so some, in some mysterious ways that I do not understand, when Jesus Christ was dying on the cross, we were there hanging on the cross and our sins were being dealt with on that cross on Calvary. And our sins, our sins, even us, our sins were being dealt with on the cross. And as he died, we died with Christ. And as he rose back up to life again, we rose back up to life again. Okay? So that is something that you need to understand in terms of the unity with Christ. And so when you begin to understand this, you begin to understand that our lives, our lives, our Christian lives is completely dependent upon what Jesus Christ does. Our Christian, our Christian life is not dependent on what we can do for God. We find life only by the virtue of what Jesus Christ has done 100% completely, nothing that we bring to the table. All we bring to the table is our sins, and Jesus Christ brings his life and death and resurrection. So this work has been applied to you, but this work has not just been applied to you, this work is continuing to apply in your life. So as Jesus Christ is in you, as he's still connected in you, as you're still connected in Christ, you continually, continually live out the Christian life through Jesus Christ. You continually grow in Christ's likeness through Jesus Christ. If I confuse you about the whole unity with Christ thing, forget it. We'll talk about it another time. Um, I just, I, I'm just trying to see if I can help you understand the passage in a new light, in a new way. But again, like if you just don't, it's fine. We can talk about it in the context of, well, I would say mission of family, but. Um, so. So. Jesus says, I am the true vine and you are the, the branches. So the, strength, the reason why you and I have strength to live out this impossible Christian life is because our strength comes not from ourselves, but our strength comes from being united with Jesus Christ. We have an infinite amount of supply for fruit because of our attachment in Jesus Christ. So... The reason why we can produce fruit is because we are connected to Jesus Christ. You guys are with me? The reason why we can produce fruit is because of our unity with Jesus Christ. So, the godliest man, the godliest man that you know today is only sustained by Jesus Christ. If, you were to, if, if Jesus Christ were to leave the godliest woman that you know. Apart from Jesus Christ, she would become the most wretched human being that you would have ever known. 
Jesus Christ is responsible responsible for the spirituality of your pastors. It's through being connected to the vine where we find our life. It is not because of ours. So, reading your Bibles, going to missional family, coming to Sunday gathering is not enough. They all have to have the end goal of helping us to abide in Jesus Christ. And so therefore, make it that your aim. So, what does that mean? Practically. Um, In the context that's before us, Jesus Christ has given his farewell discourse. He's about to leave his disciples, knowing that his time is short, Jesus wants his disciples to remain in him. Knowing that his time is short, Jesus wants his disciples to remain in him. So by saying that, it, saying that, telling his disciples, remain in me, it is assumed that the, the disciples have the possibility of remaining in Christ even when Christ is gone. Okay? Even when Christ leaves them, it is assumed that they can still remain in him without physically touching Jesus, without physically seeing Jesus, you can remain in him. So remaining in him does not mean to be there physically with him. What it means instead is to maintain dependency. Maintain dependency in Jesus Christ. To remain in Christ means to maintain dependency. Verse 4, it says, Remain in me and I in you, just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, unless it remains in the vine. Neither can you unless you, you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them and throw them. Every morning you wake up. Every single morning you wake up, you must wake up with an understanding that you have already been justified by grace you have been um, you already have been saved through grace just having merely having faith in Jesus Christ no matter if you have a good day or a bad day that's one of the means of ways it means that you can depend on Christ because you are depending on Christ you are not looking to your even your sanctification to justify you before God some of us we look at our good works Right? Has that ever happened to you? You just say, oh, I had a good day today. God must be, you know, he must really want, want, me, want me in heaven now. But what you ha- must have in mind is that we are simply resting in Jesus Christ every day in your life going forward. Let us think in such ways that I am saved by grace only through faith in Jesus Christ. No matter how my day goes, no matter how my day goes, it's only through trusting in Jesus Christ, resting in Jesus Christ. Continue resting in Christ. Continue remaining in Him. Continue resting in the truths that saved you for the first time. Returning to the gospel itself and remaining in Jesus Christ. 
so we understand that it means at the very least that we wake up every single morning with the reminder that we are in Christ. But it has, uh, it has other meaning as well. Um, it also means, too, to believe all the promises of God, that all of them come to you through Jesus Christ. That all of God's promises is yes and an amen through Jesus Christ. So that's, that's, that's just talking about what it means practically to have this kind of faith in Jesus Christ. And in other words, also, it's being led by his words. John 15, verse 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, whatever you wish, it will be done to you. If you abide in Christ and you abide in his words, his words, his words are important. You continue to me continually meditate upon Jesus Christ's words in your life. How much are you being nourished by Jesus' words? you do that, if you abide in his words, it says, ask anything and it shall be done for you. Imagine having the kind of prayer life where your prayer life is even fruitful. Right? We talk about food, food right? We talked about food earlier that the evidence is the evidence of um, what a changed life is, but imagine this, that our prayer lives would be fruitful as well. You know, what would it look like? I want you to dream big with me. I want you to dream big with me that you have such a relationship with God and your relationship with God is so connected. You're so connected with God that you can say, I sense God hearing me. God listens to me. I speak to God and I see things happen. Too many times in our Christian life we're only satisfied with just praying and not looking for answers. We're merely satisfied with, with the fact that we've done it. We've done our homework and we've done the prayer. We've checked prayer off the list. Now we're going on about a business and you're not looking forward to seeing God answer prayers. If you abide in Jesus Christ and his words abide in you, you can ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. Again, it's going to give us further cl clarification in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my commandments as I kept my father's commandments. Um, he talks about commandments as well. Um, now, what does it mean to just obey commandments? This is some, obviously, this is very simple. We all know this. Um, many of us, we appreciate the fact that we have been saved by grace through faith. But many of us don't realize that even being saved by faith, it doesn't cancel our need to obey God through his word, right? We should still obey Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus is saying, that this faith that you have in him, this remaining in him, is also connected to obeying his commandments. And I realize that I'm, I'm running a little bit out of time, but... Finally, about the vine dresser or the gardener. The gardener. That's the third row. We find that just because you sit right next to someone in church, just because you sit right next to someone in church, 
does not mean that you will end up in the same place of judgment with that person next to you. You might be singing and clapping to the same tune. You may be going to the same missional family. But if you are not bearing fruit, you both will have a different destination. Some branches were on the vine, but they were dead. And I ask you, is that you? Some branches were on the vine and they were dead. And I ask you, is that you? Are you fruitless? And if you just look at your life, just in general, let's take the church out of it. Outside of going to church, maybe outside of reading your Bible, if we were to just look at your life, are you a fruit-bearing Christian? And people look to you and say, this person, yes, is there. They're not perfect. No, we're not, we're not saying that. But at least there is a difference between you and the world. And so what the father is doing, what the gardener is doing, is he is taking this sharp object. It's used to cut away at dead areas in the branches. Oh, whoa, whoa, I'm sorry. I'm thinking about the pruning first. Let's take what, so that's what he's doing. So the father, as he's pruning, what he's doing is he's taking a sharp object used to cut away at dead areas and the branches so that it will produce more fruit. So pruning, pruning, when you're pruning, you're chipping away at these branches. And the goal of pruning was so that it would produce much fruit. Now, it says that the ones that produce fruit are the ones that he begins to prune. Now, imagine how painful that the pruning is to those branches. Like, no, I don't want to be pruned. But what he's doing is he's caring for it as he's pruning it. He's hurting it so that it would bear much more fruit. I want you to hear this passage. I'm not going I'm not, I'm not to tell you to turn to it. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as son? My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline with, with which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father and Spirit and live? For they disciplined us for a short time on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weaken knees and make straight the paths of your feet. God disciplines those whom he loves. He hurts those whom he loves. Friends, your season of discipline, things that you are looking at in your life and you're like, but God, why? Why is it me that experiences this but other Christians, even other Christians that you love, are not even experiencing the same kind of suffering that I'm suffering? 
God knows you well. He's intricately pruning you. He's intricately putting things before you, hurting you, so that you will be able to bear more fruit. That's what he's doing. All good things work together for those who love God, for those who are called according to this purpose. And so there you have it. Jesus Christ is the vine. We are the branches. The Father is the vine branches. Let's consider some applications for today's sermon. Number one, number one, it's exactly what you see in the passage. Not up there. Um, exactly what you see in this passage. Remain in Jesus Christ. Remain in Jesus Christ. Continually maintain your faith in Jesus Christ. Don't depart. Don't depart from Christ. And do not even allow your sins to make you depart from Christ. Do you hear me? Some of you, because of your sin or because of you've done something that you felt like you are ashamed of, I don't want to go back to God anymore. I don't want to come to Christ anymore. How will he accept me? Remain in Christ. Remain in Christ. Come back to Christ. He is divine. You are the branches. Cutting yourself away from Christ will not help you. So my first application today is this, to remain in Jesus Christ. Second application that I want for us is to continually seek ways in which you can produce fruit in your life. So, what does that mean? There are different ways and methods that we, sometimes we're reading the word um, in the morning. Sometimes we've neglected the reading of God's word. We continually seek to produce more fruit in your life. Continually seek um, ways in which you can um, bear much fruit as you are remaining in Christ. So that's my second application. Number three, I want you to, to speak to those of you who are not bearing fruit. For those of you who are not bearing fruit, you're just a fruitless Christian, as if you would say. I want you to examine yourself and to see if you are truly in the faith. Because you will bear fruit as a Christian. Again, look, this is I have of the problem of being too overly introspective and I sometimes I complain about the lack of fruit that I have, so I know that might be some of you and I don't want you to get there. But there is, I think, um, reason, biblical reason to believe that, you know, sometimes if you are walking with the world, you're acting wild with the world, and you just no conscious conviction, nothing at all, then I think it is time to examine yourself. And lastly, I want you to accept the Lord's discipline and to, to trust in God during the times of your hardship. That God is truly, even though it doesn't seem like it right now, but God is truly pruning you to making you a more holistic, more fruitful Christian.